Amen. It is good to be here. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be reading in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 this morning. Luke chapter 24, we'll start in the 13th verse. Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking together with each other and talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us, and they went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that what they had seen, they'd seen a vision of angels and what, and, and who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Verse 25, and he said to them, how foolish are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray as the psalmist prayed that you would open our eyes that we could see truth today. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. I believe our kingdom kids need to be dismissed right now. Uh, Miss Rosemary tells me you all know who you are. So I think they do. All right. Do you all show up to church that eager on Sunday morning? They're good to go. I heard a story recently, and I'm going to assume it's a true story, but it was told by a pastor in a sermon. He told about a family that lost their family pet. There were some workers who had been coming into the house, electricians or painters, I'm not sure, and it maybe left the door open, and, and when they left, the family started looking for their family pet and couldn't find it. They looked everywhere, and they just decided the pet got out the door and is gone, so they just gave up on the pet. And what they did not know is that pet was still in the house all the time, and it had gone into the attic. Somehow it had crawled into a box and got placed in the attic 
not just for days or weeks or months, but for years. It was a tortoise. And that tortoise had been put up in the attic and lived for years up there on, on termite larva or something like that. And, and here's, here's the, the interesting application of that story that I heard. That, that turtle, that tortoise that they'd missed all those years was with them all the time. They just didn't know it. And I thought about that as I looked at the story here of the disciples on the Emmaus Road. They're walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus. He's right there. He's present with them. He's alive and living. But all the time as they talked with him, they didn't even know it was him. Let me just walk us through this passage of, and look at each verse and make a few points of uh, commentary. And then we're going to look at five points of application in case you're taking notes there. Now verse 13 tells us that it was, it was on that, that same day. Verse 1 in uh, chapter 24 speaks of the, the day of the week, resurrection day. So the first day of the week there, they come the, 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 after the third day Jesus has risen, uh, the Bible says that these were d uh, disciples going to the village called Emmaus. Luke tells us about seven miles from Jerusalem, and it's debatable exactly where that uh, location of that town is to this day. But they're near Jerusalem. They'd been there. They'd been a part of the events of the, of the weekend, and they, they no doubt had heard everything because they even tell Jesus when they didn't know it was him, don't you know what's going on? They'd been a part of that, and now they've decided to, to go home, and they're walking back home. Verse 14 says that they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. All of the story that you've been reading as you've gone through your journey through the Bible and as Pastor Matt has led you up into the crucifixion, all of those events were taking place and these two disciples on the road to Emmaus had been a part of that, had been there in Jerusalem and they're talking with each other about everything that had happened. It's the topic of their conversation. Whenever there's a major event, a crisis, uh, something that happens that everybody's talking about when you get alone and you're walking with someone, talking with someone, you're talking about that specific key event and that's where they were. Verse 15 says that they talked and discussed these things. Kenneth Weiss, the, the Greek scholar, translates that discussed as animated, heated conversation. So you have these two on the road to Emmaus. They'd been a part of what had gone on in Jerusalem, the crucifixion of Jesus, his, his, uh, a prophecy of his resurrection, but they weren't sure of that yet. So there's this possibly a heated debate. Some scholars think that Cleopas and the other disciple were maybe, maybe married. Maybe it was uh, Cleopas and his wife. We don't know that. But I could imagine that. If you have a husband and wife, they're probably debating about something. But these two are arguing. They're discussing. There's this, this heated debate about the events that had, that had taken place there in Jerusalem. Verse 15. Again, says they walked and they discussed these things. Jesus himself came and walked up along with, alongside them. But they were kept from recognizing him. We don't know why. We don't know how. But God... By his, by his sovereignty and his Holy Spirit kept them from recognizing that Jesus was there with them. They didn't recognize him as Jesus of Nazareth, that, who they had known before. So they're talking with him. Verse 17 says, they asked, he asked them, what are you discussing? There's that, that debate they're, they're having. What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. So you have these two walking down the road talking. And Jesus comes in as a stranger right in the middle of the conversation. So that's a natural question, isn't it? What have you been talking about? Now, it was common in that day to walk on the road, and it wasn't like it is today. You kind of watch who's, who's walking with you. There is very common, especially on the road to Jerusalem, especially uh, around this time of year, around Passover, when people were traveling from all over the, the, the country to come to Jerusalem. It was common to be walking down the road and have a stranger come up and just start talking with you and get into your conversation. That's exactly what happened. So he says to them, what are, you, what are you discussing? What are you debating? 
I've told uh, churches for years that my wife and I never fight. We just have intense fellowship. I think they were, this, these two are having intense fellowship, and I think Jesus picks up on it. He says, what do you, what's this intense fellowship about that you all are, are having here? And they just stood still, and I can just picture them walking along the road, and this stranger comes up, and, and they, they're thinking to themselves, surely this guy knows what's going on like everybody else does, because that's all anyone's talking about. But he, he pinpoints and says, what are you talking about? And they just stop, and the Bible says, uh, Luke says in, in NIV here that they were downcast. Some translations say they were, they were grieving, there was sadness there. Verse 18 says, one of them, Cleopas, asks, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these days? Can I paraphrase that? Hey, buddy, where have you been? Have you been under a rock somewhere? Literally, that's where he'd been, right? Have you been under a bucket somewhere? You don't know all these events that have been happening? Buddy, how could you have missed that? Are you the only one here? And Cleopas is amazed that he didn't know anything. Verse 19, and Jesus says, what things, he asked. Isn't it interesting how Jesus asked them the question that he already knows the answer to because he's the answer, right? He asked them as they're debating the things, what things have, have been going on in Jerusalem? I love how God asks us questions that he knows the answer to because he wants us to struggle with the answer. Often that's what happens, and that's what he does here. What things, what things, he's probing and they said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before all the people. So, so Cleopas is letting him know what he knows about Jesus of Nazareth. He's a prophet. He was powerful. He did miraculous things. He's stopping short of really um, identifying Jesus as the Messiah who's saving people from their sin. He just says he was a, a prophet who did mighty deeds before God and all his people. Verse 20 says, Cleopas goes on to place blame. This is what happened to this Jesus of Nazareth. The chief priests, the Jewish leaders, the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, so significant here. But we had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. Here's Cleopas saying to explain to Jesus, who he doesn't know it's Jesus yet, we had hoped that this Jesus of Nazareth, we had hoped that he would be the one that would redeem Israel. And what's implied here is he wasn't. That word redeem is a significant term. It's not used very many times in the New Testament. But if you look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's used multiple times to refer to God redeeming his people. It's, it's a picture of the Exodus. When, when that term redeem was used in the Old Testament, it, it didn't mean the, significant, the, the full significance that we have of it, but it meant to be, to be set free, to be delivered, to be, to be purchased, a, a purchase price for a slave. So that word redeem was used in Exodus when it says that Moses came to set the children of Israel free to redeem them from bondage. So here's the picture in the mind of these disciples from, who are going back to Emmaus. Jesus was going to be the one who is going to come and set Israel free from Roman oppression. That's what's implied here. By the way, they're not the only ones that thought that. The entire Jewish nation had that picture. They had this picture of a Messiah who would come and ride in on a white charger and, and, and overthrow Rome and set up his kingdom. And you look at the arguments of the disciples. They were wanting to be a part of that kingdom. Who's going to be sitting with you in your kingdom, Lord? They, they had this sense that Jesus would come and set everything right politically and socially and economically 
We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. And they go on to describe, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They had a vision of angels who said he is alive. So here, Cleopas is saying, we, we've heard that he wasn't in the tomb, but then they didn't stop to investigate or, or do any more, any more uh, looking in the situation. They decided, we're going to go home where it's comfortable and safe, and we'll talk about it. Some of our companions went to the tomb. Just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. It's interesting how women were always there when they needed to be there, but guys had to check the story out. And until the guys checked the story out, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be verified. But it was here, and they say, we've seen that's exactly what's happened. It's interesting to me that in the retelling of the story, as Cleopas is retelling the story of what, what happened to Jesus, the chief priests, the religious leaders crucified him, uh, he was put in a tomb, he's not there. As they rehearsed all of those details of the story, they were still missing the reality of the fact that Jesus came to die for them and save them and redeem them spiritually. They're missing that. They had this clear resurrection story, but no resurrection sightings to back that up, so they stopped short in their belief. Verse 25, this is so, so interesting to me. Verse 25 says, Jesus says to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You, you've seen the evidence. You've heard. You've, you've seen the crucifixion. You've, you've been a part of that. You've heard the evidence of the empty tomb from the women who had come there and the others who checked the store out. You've seen all that, but, but he calls them foolish and slow to believe because they're not connecting the dots. And then verse 26 is so significant. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? So Jesus is letting these two know that it's a bigger picture than this victorious redeemer who's going to come in and set them free from Rome. It's a story of a suffering servant, the son of God who came and gave his life. Philippians chapter 2, emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death. Possibly he goes back to Isaiah 53. The, the, the account from Isaiah, the prophet of the suffering servant. Verse 27 says this, that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began to explain them what was in all the scriptures concerning himself. So would you not like to have been there to have the living word preaching the written word and connecting all the dots for you? The Bible says Jesus went back, Moses and the prophets, that they, when they would say Moses and the prophets, that Moses, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and that first five books of the Bible, they, they call those the books of Moses. So Jesus went back to the beginning, probably Genesis chapter 3, the fall in the garden, working his way all the way up through Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac and how God had done everything to, to have this picture of redemption for them. He, he talked about all the scriptures said concerning himself. I love the Bible. Paul wrote in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus took them to the word, the written word, to be able to let the Holy Spirit convince them who he was. If he goes to the word, how much more should we be going to the word? Not just our opinion, not just what we think, not just our interpretation, but going right to the word of God. That's why I'm so uh, just proud and excited for your church going through the study, through the reading through the Bible together. The word. Trent Butler said this about the understanding of these Jewish disciples and the word of God. He said this, 
What happened to Jesus was nothing new and unexpected. God had been preparing Israel for this all along. Scripture is full of Jesus. Any educated Israelite should be able to read the scriptures and see Jesus. I believe that. Maybe as you've been going through the Old Testament and then connecting with the New Testament, you've seen even, even going back to those stories, those events, the words of the prophets, this, the stories in the historical books, you've seen how Jesus is pictured in all of those. He's the fulfillment of that. And the Bible says as they were approaching the village, Jesus acts like he's going to go away, verse 28. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. I don't know how strongly they urged him. They might have grabbed him by his, by his arm, by his cloak, and said, whoa, don't go anywhere. We want to hear more. That's, that's my paraphrase of what happened there. Jesus says, okay, I'm out of here. Wait, wait, wait. We, we want to hear more. Their, their hearts, the Bible says right here, their hearts burned within them. In verse 32, about what was going on, what they were hearing while they walked along the road. And then verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened. Now much has been made about this. I've heard sermons that say uh, every time we break the bread in communion of the Lord's Supper, that, that that means the Lord is present in a unique way. I've heard people say that Jesus had, had the Last Supper with these. I've heard people say that those two must have been in the upper room. I don't, I don't know about all of that. I just know this, that at that moment, Jesus broke bread, and the way he did it, what he said, they realized and recognized that it was him. Maybe those two had heard the stories of the upper room from the 11. Maybe they'd heard how Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Maybe as he broke it for them, that, that connected with, they'd heard their other disciples say, I don't know. But at that moment, the Bible says their eyes were opened and they recognized him, verse 31. I love it. He opened the scriptures and he opened their eyes and they recognized him. And they say to each other, verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? Listen, learning the scriptures, reading the word of God can do a couple of things for you. One is... It can give you a big head, a spiritual head thing. You know, I know all this information. I have all this knowledge about Jesus and, and the Bible, and I can beat somebody over the head with it. So you can have a big head. I don't recommend that. You can have a burning heart. That's what these men had, a burning heart, these two disciples. They had this burning heart that Jesus was alive and revealing himself to them through the scriptures. And then they go back to the other disciples and, they told him what had happened to them and how he had broken bread and they recognized that it was him. I promised you five points of application. There are so many in this passage of scripture, but if you're taking notes, here they are, that I, that I believe are important for us to take home today. Number one, Jesus meets us. Jesus meets us on the road of grief and confusion. On our own personal road, our own personal journey, when we come into grief, when we come into discouragement, we come into confusion, Jesus meets us on the road. That's where these two were. They're traveling on the road to Emmaus. They're confused. They're puzzled. They're hopeless. They're grieving. And Jesus meets them right there where they are. I love that he does that. That he knows what you're going through. That he knows what you're struggling with. That he'll meet you right there with the truth of who he is. And affirm his presence to you. I was thinking back reading through this passage this week, and um, I thought back to 1986 when my mom passed away from cancer. I'd been in the hospital with her for several days, and, and we were just praying for Jesus to take her home because she was so miserable, suffering so much, and she finally passed, and 
I remember walking out of the hospital feeling numb. I was about 20 years old, just feeling numb. I walked outside, and I, I, my, it, for me, it's like my whole world had just crashed. I'm walking outside the hospital there in El Paso, Texas, and, and if you've ever been out there and seen the Franklin Mountains at sunset, you know what I'm talking about. There's, for me, there's nothing like a West Texas sunset. And I looked up, and there's this incredibly beautiful sunset. And in my, my grief and my brokenness and my hurt and my weeping, it's as if God said, Kevin, I'm still God. I'm still here. It's going to be okay. That's, that's Jesus meeting me in my road of grief and confusion and suffering. He'll meet you there too. He'll meet you in your brokenness. I wasn't super spiritual. I wasn't praying some great thoughts about God. I was just broken, weeping. And God said, Kevin, I'm here. Jesus will meet you right there. Number two, God's word reveals the person of Jesus Christ. God's word, the scriptures, the word of God will reveal the person of Jesus Christ. These scriptures tell the story. You know, there's history and then there's his story. The scriptures reveal his story, revealing who he is, what he's done. You can't go back to chapter 3 in the book of Genesis and not see God's plan for redemption unfolding right there. The Redeemer being pictured. You can't go through the Old Testament and follow what God did for the nation of Israel as he led them out of Egypt and uh, through the Passover time where they put the blood on the door where the angel passed over and, and the, literally the line is there in scripture, when I see the blood I will pass over that home. You see Christ there. You work your way through and see how, how God did, did a work with people like Joseph and, and rescuing the people. All, all that you see in the, in the scriptures are pointing to redemption, are pointing to the Savior, revealing the person of Christ. And for me, having known Christ most of my adult life now, to go to the scriptures is to rekindle that burning, that heart, that, that understanding of who he is, the person of Christ. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your circumstances of your life are. But when you get into the word of God and begin to read it, as you have been doing as a church, you begin to see Jesus everywhere. Talk to a man this week. He's in a, a Bible study, a small group Bible study I'm in on Wednesday morning. He was telling us what his church had done. They decided someone had this idea to read the Bible all the way through out loud, just without stopping. So they signed people up for, I guess, 30-minute time slots. I'm not sure. And they went down to the church building, and they stood up. They were excited because some of the people never got to stand up here. So they got to stand up in the pulpit and open the Bible and begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And they read the Bible. And as soon as they were at a certain stopping point, the next person would stand up, and he'd start reading the Bible, or she'd start reading the Bible. And they went. it took like 50 hours, I think he said, for them to read through the whole Bible from beginning to end. And this is what he said. He said, you know what was so exciting? He said, we begin to see Jesus all over the place. We begin to see Jesus in everything we read. That's what he wants us to see. This is not just a history book. This is not just a, the story of a nation. It's a story of a person whose name is Christ. See, the Old Testament is a story of God's work with a nation. And the New Testament pulls it all together into the story of the person of Christ. God's word reveals the person of Jesus Christ. If you need to know him, get into his word. Number three, and this is so important that these disciples missed, and many miss today. The cross was part of God's perfect plan to provide sacrifice, the sacrifice for our sins. The cross was a part of God's perfect plan of redemption. 
to pay the price for the forgiveness of our sin. See, a lot of folks look at the scriptures and they begin to read the story of God's work with his people and they, they feel like, well, it all should have happened the way God said it was going to happen in the Old Testament. And since it didn't, God went to plan B and had to send his only son. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus is the son of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. This was God's plan before, before we were even thought of. He thought of us. This is not plan B. This is God's plan of redemption. And the cross was part of that. See, these disciples, as I, as I read through this passage and they tell the story in verse 21, they say, we had hoped that he was the one. They're saying we didn't get that he was the one. He was the one. We had hoped that all that we'd read in the, in the scriptures pointed to him. It did point to him. And when he finally revealed himself to them, they finally understood that. See, Jesus traveled the road to Jerusalem so that he could meet these two on the road to Emmaus. He went to the cross to pay the price for their sins so that on that road, in their brokenness, he could, he could let them know that he was the one who died for them, who died in their place. See, death had to happen. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or no remission of sin. Jesus had to die because that was God's plan for a perfect sacrifice for our sin. It's how he, it's how he designed it. We like to forget about the cross and just celebrate the resurrection, but the cross was where he gave his life in our place. He died for us. Years ago when I was at Southwestern Seminary, uh, I worked for the landscaping crew. And I took that job for number one reason, because if you worked for the school, you got to register first. <laughs> that, was the only, that was the only big perk. So I, I went to work for the landscaping crew. And the, one of the big ice storms that came through in the early 80s, we had planted huge uh, uh, crepe myrtles. They were like 15 feet tall, beautiful. And this ice storm came through and took all the foliage off of it. And it looked like it was dead. And our, our uh, director came and told us to take a uh, chainsaw and cut those things off at the, at the ground. And it kind of broke my heart because I planted them a couple of years before and saw these huge, beautiful crepe myrtles. And I knew they had been flowering that, that spring and summer. He said, you just got to cut it off at the ground. You just got to cut it dead. And, and I thought, we're never going to see those things again. It's over. You know what happened, don't you? Man, when it got warmer again, those things came back with a vibrancy like I'd never seen. And, and, and I learned that sometimes pruning is important. <laughs> that sometimes death has to precede life. And that's exactly what the cross is all about. Death had to precede us having eternal life. Number four, don't miss this one. Jesus is alive and his presence changes everything. Jesus is alive and his presence changes everything. That's what he was saying to these two on the road to Emmaus. I'm alive, I'm here, I'm with you, and my presence is going to change not only your life, but it's going to change eternity for you. See, Jesus offers his presence in those places of despondency and brokenness. He offers companionship when we're in a time of confusion. Whatever you're going through, don't fail to recognize that Jesus is alive and living, and he wants to be a part of that event in your life. His presence changes everything. I was reading, listen to that story about the tortoise that I shared in my opening story. I thought about my son when he was a little boy. We, we bought him a turtle, put in a little glass atrium aquarium thing with the rocks and you know how you do with you kind of make a little habitat for him and set it in his bedroom and he was probably, I don't know three or four I'm not sure how old he was and he was just laying there in his room one day and I walked in he was laying there like this you know how little kids do he's just studying I thought I wonder what he's thinking he's just studying that looking at that turtle and looking at his room he says hey dad I said what he said it's amazing how one turtle can change a whole room 
how one turtle can change the whole room. What was he saying? He said, I, I've got this new pet, and everything looks different now. This one little pet I have now has changed my perspective on my bedroom. Listen, folks, it's amazing how the presence of Christ in one life can change everything in your life. Maybe things aren't going for you the way you think they should go. I heard about a little boy who was told by his parents, he's five years old, that they were going to the Grand Canyon. And he said, what's the Grand Canyon? They said, oh, it's, it's a big place. How big is it? They lived in Dallas. He said, well, it's, it's bigger than downtown Dallas. Whoa, really? Yeah, whoa, I'm, I'm ready. So they made the drive through uh, Texas, through New Mexico, got to Arizona, the Grand Canyon, and they pulled up there and got out of the car, and the little boy looks at the canyon, and he's just so disappointed. He said, where is it? They said, where's what? He said, the big cannon. The big cannon. And he was downcast and, and, and so upset because his expectation was to see a big cannon. And he missed one of the great wonders of the world because his expectations were on something else. No matter what's going on in my life, no matter what's going on in your life, let your expectations be, God, I'm going to trust you with this. Because if you don't trust him, you miss what he's got for you. You miss the Grand Canyon. His presence changes everything. Number five, the fifth truth here. Again, I'm only going to give you these five. Agreeing with the truths of Scripture is not enough. Agreeing with the truth of Scripture is not enough. We must meet Jesus personally. And if you want a, a story of a couple of guys who knew the Scriptures, these two walking on the road, whether it's a husband and wife or two guys, they, they knew a lot of the Scripture. They'd been raised with that. They even listened to Jesus explain some of the scriptures, but until they recognized who he was, they didn't personally meet him. Listen, intellectual knowledge about God and who he is and Jesus and what he did for you is not enough. You must meet him personally. When I was a little boy, I grew up in a Baptist church much like this. We had the red bricks we stacked in the nursery, like in the preschool area. We had Kool-Aid and, and uh, crackers. I remember all that. I still go into church today and I can smell that, how it was when I was a little boy. I grew up in the church. And when I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old, my, my mom said, don't you think it's time that you join the church? And because all my friends were doing it. And I said, well, sure. So she made an appointment with the associate pastor and we went and talked to him. And, and uh, he said, now, Kevin, um, you know who Jesus is? I said, well, sure. I told him. He's the son of God. Do you know what Jesus did for you? I said, well, of course I do. He died on the cross. Why? To pay for my sins. Do you want to go to heaven? Well, sure. Man, I had the story down. I'd heard it ever since I was a little boy. This is, this is what I, I knew. And I told him all the answers. And I filled out a card. And I was baptized into baptistry. And knew all about Jesus, had walked through the motions of telling people I knew all about him, but I didn't know him. I didn't know him. It wasn't until I was 18 years old that I discovered that I knew all about God. I knew all about Jesus, but I'd never met him personally because I had never by faith admitted to him that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And I never up until that point by faith had said, Lord, I, I surrender my life to you. 
I'm going to turn from my sin and receive you as my Savior, as my Lord. And that's when I come, came to know Jesus, by experience. So let me tell you, I know by experience that knowing this as well as you can is good, but it's not enough. You need to meet the Savior in the scriptures and give your life to him. I just wonder if you might be here today or maybe even listening and you could relate to my testimony. Maybe you're like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Maybe you're confused and doubtful. Maybe you thought being a Christian was a certain thing or, and you thought church membership was all it was. Maybe you just have come to the point like me where you realize I know all about him, but I don't know him. I want to invite you this morning to, to come to know him by faith. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, a simple prayer of commitment expressing the desire of your heart, I believe is what the Bible asked us to do. In John chapter 1, the Bible says, As many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I believe with all my heart that it's not just enough to know about him, but you have to receive him by faith. To say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me, and I receive your gift of eternal life by faith as I confess my sin and trust you. Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe today as we have a time of commitment, a time of invitation, you just say, God's been dealing with me about trust. Maybe you're in a period of confusion or doubt or the, the days ahead don't look like you thought they would. And, and maybe you just need to say as we have this time of commitment singing today, maybe you just need to pray, Lord, don't let me miss who you are by my expectations of what I thought you should have done in my life. Don't, don't let me miss the Grand Canyon because I'm looking for a cannon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of scripture that you are who you say you are. Father, I thank you that you sent your one and only son Jesus to die on a cross in our place. And that today we celebrate the fact that you are alive that you've risen and that you're living in our midst. God, I pray for some today that maybe today would be the day that they would come to know you by faith, to trust you as Savior, to not just know about you, but to know you personally. And Lord, maybe others who today need to recognize maybe we need a reset. Maybe we've had expectations that haven't been met and now we don't trust you. Maybe today we just need to have a reset and say, Lord, I trust you in the midst of it all. Have your way, have your will in these moments. We give this time to you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Could I invite you to stand to your feet as the worship team leads us to sing?